And God, you've been so kind to not just save us, but then to gather us together and put us together. And we get to come together every single week in homes and here on Sunday morning, and it's just a privilege. So help us not miss the beauty of this privilege. Just this marvelous time that we have together as your family, just looking to you together, praying, being dependent upon you, being vulnerable before you. Just, God, we desperately need you. We pray and, and lift up other gatherings of believers through this community. Lift up Murdale Baptist Church. God, I ask that you, as they're transitioning from one pastor to another, whenever that transition happens with Pastor Paul over there, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd raise up uh, just the right pastor, the perfect pastor for that church. Jesus, thank you that you are the pastor of that church. I ask even it right now as they gather together, Holy Spirit, that you would just work in their hearts. That you would bind them together as one. That you would help them to look to you together this morning. God, we lift up uh, Calvary Campus this morning as they're gathering. We ask Holy Spirit for you to work uh, in there. That you would convict people who are in sin and need to repent of that sin and walk towards you. We pray, God, that you would save people this morning there. Father, we ask for the vine as they're gathering that you would continue the mighty work that you've done there over the last several years. You would continue that. The testimony of your greatness would be seen there as people from all over the world gather and are being changed by the truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, here this morning, just help us. You have something for us together as a group and for us as individuals. So help us open our eyes, open our hearts, do that work for us, help us as we pursue it. Jesus, be honored. Father, we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. It was an, just incredible to hear the sermon last week. I was able to listen online. Uh, Andy and Russ, thank you. Andy said last week, uh, they may be able to preach the gospel better, but they cannot preach a better gospel. And that is so, so Incredible, And I would disagree with Andy because he did a fantastic job, but I would fully agree with that second part. There's no preacher in the world that can preach a better gospel. We have one gospel, this one glorious truth, and it's this gospel that penetrates the hearts of men and women throughout the whole globe. And so it's awesome to be able to step away for a week with my wife and listen to a podcast and hear faithful preaching from yet another pastor of Christ Church. So I'm thankful for Andy. I'm thankful for Russ as he regularly preaches for us as well. Um, God has gathered men here to be my pastors and shepherds, and I'm so thankful for that. So I'm thankful for you men. Andy, thank you for filling in last week. Um, so the sermon title this week is Wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Verses 5, or chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. I'm going to read the passage. I'll give you a main point sentence summary, and then we're going to walk through the passage primarily looking at two pieces today, wisdom from God and then about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wisdom from God and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's read the passage. And I already prayed, so I'll read it and we'll just walk through it. So, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So here's the big idea. Here's the main point. The Christian is to walk in wisdom and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, it says, look carefully how you walk. This is the part of Ephesians that we are in. The practical implications of Christian doctrine, Christian teaching. Theology, thoughts of God, drive how we walk, drives how we live. Poor theology leads to poor living. So the more and more we understand God correctly and rightly, the more the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the wonder of who God is, the more we are being transformed. We, we want to be changed. It's not just about uh, mind knowledge, but we want our mind knowledge to go down deep into our heart. And we want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We want to live this stuff out. So be careful how you walk. And the first point that we see about walking is that we want to walk in wisdom. These two points, wisdom and the Holy Spirit, at times in the Christian faith have been pitted against each other, okay? Unfortunately, you either have wisdom, okay? So the, the intellectual folks, wisdom, okay? We want wisdom from God on how to live this life. And then being filled with the Holy Spirit over here. And no, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, to know how to live this life. And the truth is, these things are, are simply not at odds at all. The scriptures put wisdom and the Holy Spirit hand in hand. You can't have wisdom without the Holy Spirit. And you, have to, you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. You have to have both. And that's what the scriptures are going to tell us today. Christian walking, Christian living includes Proverbs wisdom, and it includes the empower, empower, empowered, living, excuse me, empowered living of the Holy Spirit. So number one in verse 15, we see, live wisely, not as unwise, but as wise. The Christian, number one, is to live with wisdom. God has given us Proverbs wisdom. He has given us, given us the scriptures. So to live the Christian life is to walk in a wise way. We live tomorrow with wisdom. As believers in Jesus, what, should, what our lives should be marked by as the, world, as the watching world looks is a group of people that are making wise decisions. Okay. Now, as we grow in the Christian faith, our decision-making becomes more and more wise. But as people watch, they should see about us that we live in a different way practically. We practically live differently. We, we don't appeal to the highest authority being ourselves. We appeal, walk in wisdom, we appeal to the scriptures. To live wisely means to love God's word. We want to hear what God has to say about this. And then we want to model our lives accordingly. We don't want to say, here's what I think. Here's what I believe I should do. And I'm going to do that and regardless of what the, word, what the Bible says. We shape our minds around the scriptures. So we live wisely. Second piece of living wisely, for instance, if you're, especially if you're a young child, even if you've grown up, is you, take, take, you pay attention to what your parents say. If you're a child, if you're still living in the home, God has given you parents, even, even if, and the parents in this room, by God's grace, are good parents and are growing parents, we're all learning this stuff together, uh, even if you had really terrible parents growing up, you can look back and see nuggets of wisdom given through, given through broken mom and dad. Or even if you just had a mother or if I just had a father at home, uh, you, you've taken some things that are good from them. And it is wise to pay attention to the people that God has given us in our lives. So we have the Bible and we have, uh, we have parents. Um, the third aspect is we have church leadership. Okay? I have leadership within this church. It is wise for me to pay attention to what my leaders tell me. 
It is unwise to not pay attention to what my leaders tell me. It's not ultimate authority. They're, you know, Andy, Russ, and you guys, the broader congregation, you guys in the end uh, are, are not ultimate authority to me, but I, I would be wise to listen to you. And the Christian pays attention to what other believers tell them, the counsel that they get from their spiritual leadership. It's also important that as Christians, we find, as we're living wisely, that we find some sort of spiritual pseudo-parents. I have people, I love my mother and father, they're godly, but to live wisely means that I'm always looking for people that are older than me, that have godly wisdom, that love the Bible, and that, that care for me. And so I want to live wisely in that way. I want to gather people around me that are wiser than me, that have more experience than me. So part of living wisely is gathering people around me that are wise. We have leaders and also to live wisely, to walk with wisdom, not, not be unwise, but be wise. It means to learn from history. So as we're living a Christian life as Christians, uh, we are to look back. The scriptures regularly call us to remember. And to remember, we're thinking about things in the past. So for the Christian to live a wise life, we have to remember past, like our own history, past sin patterns. We have to remember the faithfulness of God, even though those past sin patterns exist. We want to live wisely. We want to remember what God has done in the past. And that's a part of living wisely. This is what the Christian does. We're to live wisely. Specifically, in verse 16, we're, we're told that wisdom has something to do with making the best use of time. Look at verse 16. That's how it starts. That we're not to walk as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. You see that? If you have another translation, what does it say? The exact same thing? Redeeming the time. Okay, anything else? Uh, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Anything else? Okay, redeeming the time has this, carries this idea that we are purchasing time, that we're doing, we're, we're, we're making time. Uh, we're, we're not in, in the end slaves to time. We're trying to do everything we can with time. Now let's just talk about time for a minute because the scriptures clearly say that if we're to walk in wisdom and not walk in unwisdom, it means that we're to make the best use of time. So what, is, what does that look like? And so I want to talk for a few minutes on the Christian perspective on time. Do you ever feel like you wish there was more time in the day? Okay, is there never enough time? Like there's just never, no. <laughs> Alana says, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, time, you, you remember when you were younger, time just, you know, I remember my parents would tell me just 45 more minutes or an hour longer, and it would just feel like 45 minutes, are you serious? It's like years. Now you get older, you're like, it's halfway through 2016. What on earth is happening? Like, my son's almost two. How, on, how in the world is that happening? And then as you get older and older and older, every single person who's just a little bit older than you will tell you the exact same thing. As I tell people now at 32, I'll tell people at 22, hey, it goes quicker the older you get. It's just unbelievable. Some, like uh, Phil Nelson, a pastor friend of mine, said, science will prove one day that time actually does speed up the older you get. Like, there's some other weird dimensions. I don't know how it works. Uh, time is trouble for everybody. When it comes to time and time management in particular, when it comes to work, when it comes to uh, even recreation, wherever, it, oh, it feels like time just slips through our hands. And uh, there's, there's something unique about the Christian and some sort of tools that we, I think, are given when it comes to time that help us uh, better use the time that we have. 
to live differently than everybody else when it comes to how we use time. And so the Christian perspective on, on time is unique because in Ephesians chapter 1, we find, in, we find that God uh, has out, we, we have this, we exist in a time-space continuum, it's 2016, but God's purposes for us, this is where we get our perspective on time, begin in eternity past, and they end, well, never, but it goes on into eternity future. That our story, our individual story of our existence is woven into the very existence of time from way, way, way back in eternity, all the way into like before the foundation of the world, all the way into future, on and on and on and on. And the scriptures tell us that. They tell us that God loved us and chose us before the foundation of the world, before anything existed, God had his children in mind. It, we're not an accident. He knew us and loved us before we were born. And then we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have an inheritance. We've talked about that quite a bit as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We, we will be glorified one day. When Christ returns, we're going to not feel joint pain after a softball game anymore. Like, we're not, I thought I was okay after Monday night softball game or Tuesday night softball game. I thought I felt pretty good until like, like it was like four days after the game, I threw a rock, like an itty-bitty rock, and I picked it up and I went to throw it and I was like, oh, like, my legs were sore, but I thought my shoulder was going to feel like it was going to fall off, and it felt pretty good, and then I just threw a rock. Well, when Christ returns and when we receive resurrected bodies, I'll be able to skip endless rocks and throw endless amounts of softballs without being sore. Like, there, there's a day coming because we know our future is secure. When we look at back in the past, we see God at work in our lives before we were born. We look into the future, a place that I am not yet, we see God at work in our lives. Therefore, we have current help and, and when it comes to our perspective on this moment. If we have eternity promised, future promised, and we know our past has been under control, we can be right now presently living differently. Okay, so past, present. God is in charge of the past and the future of our lives. And so we can somehow, by, God, by God's grace, making the best use of time, we can be patiently intentional. We can be patient and show intentionality. We don't have to be panicky about every day in our lives, always feeling like we have to get this or do that next. Uh, there, there's a reality of being a Christian that somehow or another, and, and wrap your minds around this, and I'm still learning this, we have the tools to be able to slow down. And often, I, I feel like I just pick up more and more and more and more, and I'm not slowing down and living life, enjoying it moment by moment. I feel like life just kind of passes by. Well, by God's grace, we can be the type of people that sees the time, sees the day, carpe diem, right? We can, see, we can live in this moment the way this next moment right now is intended to be lived. We don't have to be panicky or always in a hurry. If I know I have, I'm going to inherit the earth, I don't have to be in a hurry to go in debt for a boat. Right? It changes how I live right now. If I know I'm getting a million dollars in a month, I don't have to be worrying about a mortgage right now. Right? We will inherit the earth. So eternity, eternity future, should impact how we live today. It should slow us down. Not make us less urgent for the spread of the gospel. We can have patient urgency, these paradoxical ideas. Okay, I'm not saying that we just slow down, do, become lazy, and do nothing, put our hands in our pockets. Not saying that at all, but practically to live wisely means we make the most of our time. 
That means it changes how, as I confessed a few weeks ago, I use the internet instead of wasting time here or there. I use time for the glory of God, not to waste time by whatever I, you know, looking at Twitter for the 7,000th time. Okay? So we can make the best use of time by God's grace if we walk wisely. Christians are to do this. So let's consider real quick the past. We're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future. As we look to the past... Okay, what we do often when we get paralyzed in the past is we look and see the past and we look at past sins. And we, and we look at the past and we begin to be paralyzed as we consider where, where we've been and these, these consistent patterns of always falling into the same trap, doing the same thing over and over again, over and over again, and continuing to be in the same place that I am, feeling like I'm on a treadmill. And this is where many believers and certainly non-believers get. They get trapped in the past. Okay, I just feel like I'm just running out like a... Uh, what's that, uh, what's the little hamster on the treadmill, and I'm just running, 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 and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. It just feels like I'm spinning my wheels. Okay, we look to the past, and often we're paralyzed, and we stay there because of that. But for the Christian, we have a bigger event in our past than our past failures and sins. We have a hill, and we have two wooden sticks, and we have a Savior who did something with our sins. We have a bigger event than our failures in our past. We have the cross of Christ. And as we look back and as we consider our sins, let, it, let us look further back and let's see the cross of Christ. We see God even beyond the hill called Calvary. We see God in eternity past. And we see that our story with God began before we were born. I already mentioned that. The Christian can have a unique Unique perspective on our past because we have events that are bigger than us and our failures in the past. We have God. We have His reconciling work with us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is this monumental activity of God in the past, and so often we get caught up in our weakness and our failings in the past. So let us look to the cross and get a better perspective on the present. Our sins are forgiven. I texted somebody this week who confessed sin to me. They texted me and said, I need to confess this to you. And I texted back, because of Jesus, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And when you fail again, I'll text you the same thing. Your sins are forgiven. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. And then when she sinned again, she needed to hear the, next, the same thing. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay, this is the truth that's in our past. Your sins are forgiven. So by God's grace, a proper perspective on time, we, we can start to have because we're not paralyzed in the moment based on our failings yesterday, our failings last week, or a year ago, or six years ago, or that past relationship that was awful, or that past fill-in-the-blank that was terrible. We don't get trapped there because we have bigger events in the past. The cross and eternity passed before the foundation of the world. Powerful, powerful events that can give us a better perspective. Um, but the, the other thing that, that traps people in the past is not necessarily sins that we've committed, but what traps people in the past is sins that have been committed against us. And that can trap us in the past. It's not necessarily the sin that I've done or committed to other people. I feel forgiveness for that. And, and every day I need to be reminded of the forgiveness that I found in Christ. But, but I've been, whoever you are, sinned against. And that's what traps me in the past. Often people who have been sexually abused, both men and women, uh, feel the shame of that. 
even though they have never, they did not commit that sin. That was not a sin of theirs. They feel the shame of being sinned against for the rest of their lives. Okay, or a neglectful parent or neglectful parents. Those parents sinning against children can have an impact that affects the child for the rest of their life. And often what happens when we think about the past, what happens when people think about the past, they get paralyzed based on the sins that were committed against them. Okay? So shame can exist. Uh, feelings of, uh, okay, uh, why did somebody abuse me this way? I didn't, I, this should not have happened. And in the cross, we can have, if you have been sinned against greatly, we can have hope knowing that God knows. Like those sins committed against you, okay, say they were horrific sins, unspeakable things that you've buried deep within your mind and your heart that you don't want to talk about, you don't want to uncover. And every time you think about it, 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 it begins to bring tears to you. You just can't even emotionally handle it. Know this. God was not absent. He knows. And He's faithful to you even now. He wasn't ambivalent. He's storing up wrath about the sins that were committed against you. And the two ways in which wrath gets poured out on people is on the cross or in hell. And I promise those sins committed against you will not go unpunished. They simply will not. And He is patient and caring and loving for you, even right now, having me speak these words over to you, over you, that He loves you and He's with you. And as Jesus cried with Mary and with Martha over the death of Lazarus, Jesus wept, even though He knew what He was about to do. Jesus has the ability, knowing and walking in this world, suffering as we suffer, He knows how to sympathize with you. And so we know as Christians we can get a better perspective on time and not be trapped in the moment based on sins committed against us in the past. There is freedom for you. So we can make the best use of time because we're not trapped in the past. We're just simply not trapped in the past. And then if you need to remind yourself every day, which you, ought, you will, we'll have to remind ourselves, okay, God, I don't have to be trapped in the past. You've taken care of that for me, and you will take care of those sins that have been committed against me. I can trust you as my Heavenly Father who cares. I don't have to be trapped in the past. So the Christian perspective on time, uh, when it comes to the past, helps us in the present because we don't have to be paralyzed from past sins that we've committed or past sins that were committed against us. But it's not only the Christian's past, it's the Christian's future often that paralyzes us. And here's where God's, uh, God's grace and God's power and God's sovereignty can help us with the future. Our future is promised. My salvation is secure. So I don't have to live in fear today. If Christ Jesus has forever and eternally brought pleasure to the Heavenly Father on my behalf, then by God's grace I can know that I am secure with my Heavenly Father. I am secure as Jesus is. What do I have to fear? If the pleasure of God rests upon us as sons and daughters, what am I trying to attain from Him? What am I trying to gain by fearing that I may not measure up tomorrow? We already know we won't measure up tomorrow. Fortunately, Jesus did for us. When we have our future promised and secure, it gives us unbelievable freedom and power to be all here. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, he was a missionary, wherever you are, be all here. Be all there. And I've got to re remind myself of that regularly because often 
even with Ritalin. I'm here and there, and not here. Focus. Okay, I'm here. I want to be present. Okay, Christian perspective on time helps us when we know our eternity past is taken care of, and that God has been for us and has forgiven us and cleansed us and taken away the shame. When we know our future is secure, we are finally free to live with wisdom right now. We know the days are evil, which is what it says in our passage. The days are evil out here, but by God's grace, Christians live with wisdom in the present. We make the best use of time. Well, how can we know what the best use of time is? What do we mean, make the best use of time? What is the best use of Sunday right now or Monday? What's going to be the best use of my time tomorrow? Maybe this afternoon. Do I nap? Do I, what, what is the best? Do I, what, I mean, I'm going to preach at 1 o'clock at another church in Marion today. I'm looking forward to that. Um, what, what do I do with my time to make the best use of time? It's a great question. Here's what the passage says. What is the best use of time? Verse 17, look at it. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we're to live with wisdom, then we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. If, we're, if we are going to make the best use of, use of time, we need to understand what God's will is. Now, we're going to look at three passages. Somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 10.31, and you're going to read that for me. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Tell me when you got it. But don't read it yet. Just tell me you got it. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Okay, Kathy's got it. We're going to talk about God's will. And we're going to talk about His general will. And this is God's general will for every believer in this room. Okay, if you ever wondered, what's God's will for me? What am I supposed to do after college? What am I supposed to do when I retire? What am I supposed to do? It's funny, those that are graduating high school and graduating college, uh, you get to the exact same spot when you get to retirement because you realize in retirement, like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to, like, I, you got to do something, right? Because everybody's retiring younger and younger. Like, my dad and my mother, they both work for the state. I love them, but uh, they've retired young, very young, because of the state of Illinois. Uh, benefit to them, not to us. Uh, but... Um, but my parents, they retired early, and they're having to find things to do. And it can be somewhat nerve-wracking when you're going into retirement. In the same way it is when you graduate high school or when you graduate college. The question of, what, what am I going to do? What is God's will? I, am I alone? Just raise your hand if you have ever asked the question, God, what is your will for me? Okay. Raise your hand if you've asked that about 10 billion times. Okay. Sometimes it just feels so elusive because we're wanting to know specific, God specific. I want your specific will. Kathy, go ahead and read, read 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Okay, there's God's will for you. Tomorrow. Right now. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's God's will. It's general for everybody, but the Holy Spirit comes and makes it specific. Okay, tomorrow, I'm going to wake up in a different home tomorrow morning, wake up in a different home than you will. Jordan and I will wake up at 606 Center Street, Carterville, Illinois. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have my coffee, I'm going to go in, do my thing, I always do, Bible, pray, read, waste time on the internet, okay, and try to not do that. Actually, I read the news in the morning, that that's, can be helpful. Read the news. 
and then I go to breakfast with my buddy uh, on Monday morning, and my day is going to look different than yours tomorrow, okay? So God is going to take that verse that's very general for everybody, whatever you eat, drink, or do, do all to the glory of God, and Holy Spirit tomorrow is going to make it very specific, Okay, I want to glorify God tomorrow morning when I wake up, when I go to breakfast, when I'm driving, when I'm le- I-, I want to live to God's glory. I want Him honored. I want Him worshipped. So God takes the general will, the Holy Spirit takes the general will given to everybody in this room, and will make it very specific to me tomorrow. And He'll do that for you as well. Okay, another passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Go ahead and flip there, and I'm just going to read these two passages. This is very, very general for every Christian, but also very specific. For this is the will of God. Ears perk up. Heart starts to beat faster. Mind begins to start spinning. Okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? This is God's will for you, your sanctification. Well, that's interesting. That's very specific. God's will for you is to grow in Christ-likeness. Ding, 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 ding. Awesome. Light bulbs begin to go off. Like, wait a second. That's what God wants for me today? Yes. The Holy Spirit comes and makes it very specific. You know why? Because each of us, the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict of other sin. Because the bondage of sin we're continuing to be redeemed out of. And so the specific areas of our life that we need to grow in godliness, the Holy Spirit is very specifically pointing those out to you. So tomorrow, God's will for you, the rest of the day for you today, is become more Christ-like by God's grace. Very simple, yet unbelievably profound, is it not? Okay, I'm hoping, yeah, is it, is it not? Yes, it is, simple, but so profound. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, here's what it says. Thanks again, Apostle Paul, making it so simple. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's a lifetime of work right there. Only Christ has done that perfectly, thankfully, on our behalf. Rejoice always. God, when I'm not rejoicing tomorrow, I know it's your will right now that I would be rejoicing. Help my heart to rejoice. I don't want to just clench my fist and clench my teeth. So tomorrow, help me to rejoice. Holy Spirit, work in me. I want to rejoice and thank you for your grace to me today. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's that's a lifetime of perfect purpose ahead of you. So if we're to walk in wisdom, we're to know what God's will is, and we're by grace beginning to walk that out. So grow in Christ's likeness. Wisdom. We walk in wisdom. This is wise living. Understanding what the will of the Lord is and making our best use of time. Holy Spirit, help me to do this. Keeping in mind our justification, by the way, because we will fall short every single day at this. And yet, by God's grace, we have the favor of God because of what Christ has done for us. He did all that. He lived wisely. He made every made, he made perfect opportunity of every moment of every day. He did this perfectly on our behalf. He did the will of the Lord perfectly every single day. By God's grace, we have that same righteousness counted as ours. This is wise living. Second part, so first first part is live wisely. We understand, we make the best use of time and understand what the Lord will of the Lord is. Part two of the passage begins talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now turn back to chapter five. Here's what it says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled up with the Spirit. This is what 
We are to do. We are to be filled with the Spirit. So one, walk with wisdom, and then two, uh, to, Christians are to be walking, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the example to the negative that's used is drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. This is not a passage primarily upon drunkenness. Its whole point is this. When you are drunk, when you're intoxicated, your sight is affected. Anybody been drunk before? You fakers. Okay. You've been drunk before. Your sight's affected. Your emotions are affected, right? You're either, uh, you know, in tears or you're ready to fight anyone, right? Or you're calling or texting or whatever it is, and it's not good. You do th- unspeakable things, okay? When you're drunk, when you're inebriated, it's just, it's bad. Your thinking is affected. Your memory is affected. Everything is affected. And the Bible's going to say, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, everything is affected in your life. When you're working in the power of the Holy Spirit, you you see differently. You hear differently. You think differently. It affects all aspects of your life, not just some of your life. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, real quick, so we don't have time to talk about that. I was going to talk about drinking and drunkenness and all of that. And just real quick, it's okay to drink. Don't get drunk. All right, the scriptures over and over again talking about the blessing of wine, and God even commands his people in the Old Testament to drink strong drink. He does not command them to get drunk. So just in a real broad statement, if you have a problem with alcohol, if you've ever been alcoholic, you need to never touch it. Okay, be wise. But if you don't, you're free to drink alcohol. Jesus commanded us to drink wine. It's the one drink he commanded us to drink. And we don't do that. We have grape juice here. But you're free to drink. Drink wisely. Don't be stupid. Okay, so but the point of this passage is don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be affected in all of your body and all of your physiology by the Holy Spirit. Okay, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what John Stott says. Let me get my quotes here. I'm, for the sake of time, I'm skipping some some things here. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But if you want some of these notes later, you can have them. Uh, Here's what John Stott says about this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when Paul says to us, be filled with the Spirit, he uses a present imperative, implying that we are to go on being filled. For the fullness of the Spirit is not a once-for-all experience, which we can never lose, but a privilege to be renewed continuously, continuously by believing and obedient appropriation. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit once for all. Remember we talked about that? The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. You have the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian, okay? 100%, the Holy Spirit's never going to leave you, ever. However, the command here is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed with the Spirit once for all, but we need to be filled with the Spirit and go on being filled every day and every moment of the day. This is the command. It's a command to be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two things, and then we'll be done. Uh, we're going to first look, okay, the results of being filled with the Spirit, and then we're going to do a quick, qu- real quick, how to be filled with the Spirit, okay? We have the Holy Spirit. We want, we want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again and shine light on the work of Jesus. And then tomorrow, we want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again and shine light on the work of Jesus yet again. And then we want the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and show us yet another angle of the glories of God and the work of Christ Jesus. Okay, We want this time and time again. So first, we're going to look at four results of being filled with, with the Holy Spirit. Look at this. 
Do not get drunk with God and be filled, but that's debauchery, but with, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number, verse 19, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. That's number one. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what it's going to look like. Addressing one another, we will address one another with psalms, like the psalms that are in the scriptures. We will want the words of God to be communicated to each other. With in, in, in hymns, Okay, and commentators agree and disagree about what hymns and spiritual songs are. But as Andy has said time and time again, and I believe Russ has as well, we are a singing people. God has done something inside of us, and we want to sing about it. We come together and corporately sing. You don't do that at work. You do that when you come together here, right? If Taylor's at the PTA meeting and breaks out in song, people are going to wonder what's going on, right? Like, what is happening? If Tim on a construction site starts singing... Like, he may come home with a black eye, right? I mean, it's, it's odd, you know, to just start singing somewhere. Christians sing. We encourage each other. You see, this, this is one another. To be filled with the Spirit means we turn our attention horizontally to the people of God, and we encourage each other with the truths that are in songs and spiritual songs. What happens when we come together, the Holy Spirit births something inside of us, and we're so excited, and it's like, I want to go tell, like spontaneously, I just want to go tell James, man, I just want to encourage you right now. God knows what you're going through, and He's faithful, and He's going to bring you through it. And the Holy Spirit just brings this to mind, and I just want to tell you about it. And, and then I just want to burst forth in joy and go tell Russ about, you know, some, make some crack about the Cubs being terrible, and, and, you know, or something like that, but very specific. And this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's turning our attention to each other in encouraging sorts of ways. We want to encourage each other. We want to sing the truths of the Scriptures to each other. So number one, to be filled with the Spirit means we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Secondly, we sing and make melody to the, to the Lord with your heart. Individually now, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the second result is individually we sing from the heart. When we're at home, when we're somewhere, and if you're not a singer, your affections, okay, forget singing then, from your heart, your affections regularly are pointed toward God in thankfulness. You, in your heart, okay, the deepest part of who you are, you really love Jesus. Yeah, you fail, but your deepest, the deepest desire about you is, God, I just want you honored. And the second result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that melodies come from our heart to the Lord. We just we love Him. We're changed personally from our heart. We drive down the road and, God, thank you for what you've done for me. We break out in song personally. We make melodies. We just, God, we just thank you. We, we just, we love you. And we give our affections, our emotions, we give our emotions personally in here, we give those to God. Emotions are a good thing. It can be crazy when we just focus only on emotions, but emotions are redeemed and we give them to the Lord. The third piece, the third result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third result is that the Holy Spirit shapes in us Trinitarian-shaped worship. The Holy Spirit is called the shy one of the Trinity. Okay? The whole, if the Holy Spirit's working, God is being thanked through Jesus Christ. Okay? Where Jesus is loved and talked about, where God is honored through Jesus, the Holy Spirit's working. When the Holy Spirit is the one center, central in everything, the Holy Spirit, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points us, the third mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
is that we are giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father through the name of Jesus Christ. It means the name of Jesus is on our lips. It's on our tongue. We're talking about the work of Jesus regularly. We're thinking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we are doing. We are thanking God through Christ. And then the fourth piece Fourth result of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that in verse 21, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is such a glorious privilege for all believers. Jesus submitted to the Father, showing us the power of submission. If Jesus did not submit, we would not be saved. But He submitted to His heavenly Father. Jesus was co-equal with His Father, and yet He submitted. And all of us in this room get the privilege of submitting to someone. We all get this privilege. I submit to Andy and Russ. I submit to you as a congregation. If I'm in left field and preaching, Paul writes the church in Galatia, and he holds them accountable for the bad teaching in Galatia. If bad teaching is happening, the congregation should say, that needs to stop and take the appropriate channels to see that that stops. And if I'm unfaithful to the scriptures, I want to, I want to be faithful to the Bible. So I submit to people in my life, and I have a, it's a joy to submit. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, following in the way of Jesus. Submission is a good thing. The Holy Spirit works humility in the people of God that we submit to the appropriate people. It's just a glorious thing to be able to do. We get to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We humbly do this. Okay? I'm not the one in charge, and everyone has to submit to me. Get it? We humbly submit to each other. So that's the four results. Andy, go ahead and come up. Now, the path toward, it's unbelievable. When I take two weeks off, I just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, the, those are the results. But here's the irony of this, okay? Christians, you have the Holy Spirit. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit today, okay, this also happens to be the path to being filled with the Spirit. This is unique. The Christian life, hang with me, is a mixture of duty and delight, but it starts with delight. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes and change our heart. And when He opens our eyes, we see the beauty of Jesus. We repent of our sins and we trust in Him. And our relationship with God starts with delight. It's, we are caught, it is a wonderful romance where we are enraptured with joy, like this this is a heart effectual thing. I love him. But what, that, what happens then is when, when we have delight in the Lord, it fuels our duty in the Lord. D-U-T-Y, not duty like poopy, but duty. Like duty, it fuels duty. So when I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, I want to read my Bible tomorrow. And then I want to sing to him. I want to gather with the saints. That's what I want to do. Okay? But then there's going to be seasons where I don't feel like it at all and that I'm still doing my duty, my Christian duty. I'm just going to do my duty. And in doing the thing, reading the Bible, praying, when I'm doing it, delight begins to return. Delight to duty to delight to duty. It's this cyclical effect. And this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit this morning, again, here, let me encourage you. I'll tell you what to do here by God's grace. One, we need the Spirit to work, but here, address one another with hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Listen to these words. Sing them out like you're singing to each other, and hear the words and be filled with the Holy Spirit. These words are incredible. 
let them soak down into you. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing to each other. Follow the, follow the Holy Spirit's work to encourage each other. Sing and make melody in your heart. Personally, begin to think in your heart, Jesus, I, I just, from the deepest part of me, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. And I want to give you my emotions. I want to give you my affections. And the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working. Then give thanks always. If you don't know what else to do, begin to just thank. The Holy Spirit will come and help you thank God through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me and Jesus. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit is working and filling you and pointing your eyes to Jesus. And we can be filled with the Spirit and then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Walk with humility by God's grace to each other, submitting to each other and giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Love each other with the humility of Christ by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, the Christian is to walk in wisdom and in the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I just ask for these two things. Um, give us wisdom. Give us perspective on time. Um, help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, afresh and anew, even right now. And Holy Spirit, you know what to do here. Like you, you've, you've been doing this for all eternity. So just help us. Before we receive communion, help us to sing, make melody in our heart, to encourage each other, to be humble before each other, and just... Fill us with your spirit again. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing.